Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bombas socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Welcome to a part date with the difference. You're about to hear fragments of a conversation between Christopher Beanland and Ian Sinclair. Ian Sinclair is a poet, writer, and thinker. Fragment and author of books such as Down River, Ghost Milk, London Overground, and Hackney, That Rose Red Empire. He's also made films like London Orbital, Chris Pettit, Six and swan down fragment seven fragments of a conversation fragment eight between chris beanland and ian sinclair nine this voyage took place ten through the wildernesses of woolwich in southeast london fragment one that's a good Looks like a slice of old dog stuck on top there. Here's the this silver town there at the airport. I'm not sure if this yeah, if this is the best time to start. Oh, we've sure. got a, we've no. got a plane flying over to London City Airport. That's good. It's very uh, Ballardian. It is very, isn't it? Um, and uh, Ballardian. I'm very Ballardian. And as Ian says, the uh, the top of the microphone. Doesn't <laughs> it absolutely looks like you've got a handful of dog <laughs> and stuffed it on, on it, top of an electric razor. It looks like a handful of dog on top of an electric razor. I couldn't. Have or else a very very hairy person who, who <laughs> shaved their chest and it's stuck. It's actually my hair. Is it? Oh. <laughs> That's not true. Um, but yeah, I'm here with uh, I'm here with the the laureates of London Fields in Sinclair. Welcome to Woolwich. We are walking along the Thames Path and we're we're on our way to Galleons Park, aren't we, Ian? To... We're on our way to, yeah, Galleons Reach Park. Galleons Reach Park. Um, with the idea that we may never find it. Yeah. Because we've been detoured <laughs> we'll see. To, to the, the ghosts of armaments and mm. the kind of colonialism of the 19th century destruction of the world in Woolwich yeah. combined with statues brought back from ancient Egypt um, which has succeeded in throwing our compasses as crazy as Moby Dick. Yeah. <laughs> and so the park could reappear. Uh, it may never have been there. Maybe a kind of uh, Arthur Macken fantasy that I went to once and it can never be found again. Or it may emerge from these estates and tower blocks alongside the River Reach. We'll have to. It's a mile of dark history right opposite us. I mean, 
Galleon's Reach was, was the site of the, the terrible uh, tragedy of the Princess Alice excursion steamer being chopped in half by a collier vessel, the Bywell Castle, uh, 600 odd drownings in 1878, just out there on the river. People couldn't swim, sewage being pumped out on both sides, uh, horrible tragedy. And so the river is not to, to be taken lightly. Yeah. And you can't move without the notion that you're on top of contaminated land. All the land here has so much, so much history, and the river, the river too, flowing, flowing uh, past us on the left. And this is the point where the river gets very wide as well, doesn't it, Ian? You can... Yeah, it, it certainly begins to open out into the world in the estuary and also opens out into layers and layers and layers of new development and regeneration mm. and the idea of how you can use places, things like the Elizabeth Line to, to create um, new cities, basically, Yeah. without there being necessarily people to put in them. Yeah. Because a lot of what we've passed, there's nobody there. There's no, there was no one there, so we were walking. It's like we, a plague city. It was very, 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 very strange. It was almost like Burnt lockdown. grass. Yeah. The semicircles of buildings. Yeah, we've got these... Balconated bicycles, but not a single human. No, there's not many, not many, uh, not many people around. Ian, I think, if I'm not mistaken... I can see something over there which looks like... That is one of the mounds. That yeah, looks we're like in the a right mound. Place. We're in the right yeah. place. We've found we're it. We're there. Yeah, no, we've found we've, it. we'll find it. But we've... But we've yeah, Build we've, the mounds and they'll come. <laughs> but we've been on this walk, which is very interesting, it's, through these liminal landscapes. Well, we've seen newspapers and... Yes. And you were, you were talking to me about when you, when you were well, looking at the, the detritus on the ground and the stories that reading, you can tell. Reading the contour lines. Reading the contour lines, yeah. Out cars yeah. gives yeah. you a very good idea of where you are yeah and then the sudden ambience out of the retail parks of the most high security prison in britain hm prison belmarsh belmarsh which has got julian Assange in it mm. still mm. and played host to jeffrey archer for a few weeks he was only in there three weeks and he managed was to he publish tickets? prison diet yeah. <laughs> prison diaries i mean talk about che guevara yeah. you know <laughs> got nothing on jeffrey um and um, various other kind of interesting wasn't people. Wasn't that a bit, was a bit high security for Jeff, Jeffrey, high. wasn't it? Well, it was just, I think, you know, a gesture. Mm. So to give mm. him material for the book and then yeah. we can go to an open prison and have time to write it. Yeah. And come out <laughs> ahead of the game. And we, we noticed, didn't we, Ian, that right next to Belmarsh there was this new uh, housing development um, which... Uh, was extolling its its virtues on on the the advertising boards in the way that they they often do these days. But um, yeah, no mention of the fact that you're basically living right next to Britain's most dangerous men. No, no, no mention of that. It's always like this is the future. Yeah. Planning for tomorrow. Considerate constructions. Yeah. Whatever. You know. You, you manipulate. You laminate history mm. so that it, it just gives it a very thin thread of history passes through with yeah. all the dark stuff buried. But what was really intriguing, just hanging around outside the new station in Woolwich, was finding this this dark Egyptian god, because it was mm. a, a mangled god. It didn't look like any Egyptian god that I recognised. It looked like it had literally been ripped out of the ground two weeks ago, covered in sort of black mould. And it's just the same relation from the city of Cairo to the pyramid complex. So here we are, we've been in in the city with the old Egyptian gods, and suddenly out we come into this field where there are 
the equivalence of the English pyramids. Yeah. And what it is, it's the residue of this compulsion to dig and excavate. So you've, you've, you've got tons of soil produced by the, the Channel Tunnel, the years and years of cross-rail development. And all of these are essentially the developments of tearing down aspects of the old Royal Woolwich Arsenal. Mm. And what do you do with it? And what they've done with it here is create this rather mysterious park, which we're just about to enter. We're about to enter. Um, the idea of the mounds reminds me a little of um, in Berlin after the war, where they were um, building up building up their own parks, like uh, Teufels, Teufelsberg and Box Park Friedrichshain and those other things, they look like hills, but they're so actually... Here are, there's a, little, oh, there's a, there's a, a map, map here. Galleons yeah. Reach Park. Right. This, this is the essential, this is your Silbury Hill. This is the, mm. the key one, which is a helical path, weaving you like a, a meditation yeah. to the very top, which is the viewing platform, whereby you relate to the whole spectrum of, of London, east, west, south, north, everything. And there's a series of smaller mounds around, including Lookout Hill, and, and a group of, of three, and one again with a helical path. Um, what the meaning of it is is obscure. Mm. It was opened in, in uh, January 2017, offering a new natural habitat environment with wildflower meadows, 800 new trees, black poplar, white poplar, hornbeam, silver birch, ash, turkey oak. So it's, it's an aspect of Thamesmead, it's like on the edge of that development, mm. and it's also playing into the older history of Woolwich. I'm afraid it's, it's one thing that's brutally clear what this is. If you look at the outline, it's a gun carriage. Oh, it's absolutely yes. a gun carriage. It it's, looks, a ca it's a cannon. It looks exactly like a cannon. Here is the wheel, like here is the barrel, this is the barrel. It's, yeah, is, there's completely. no question that has been shaped. Yeah, yeah. It is a memorial to yes, our glory exactly. blowing the world apart. <laughs> How we, I guess. It can't be anything else. Yeah, it really, really does look like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so Gullion's Hill is, is the kind of um, sleeping wheel on which all of this brutality exists. Yeah. It's turned into something that's ostensibly calm and meditative yeah. and laid out. And here's something else you might... I don't know how you feel about this, Ian. I, I, seem, I noticed that Thamesmead seems to have been rebranded. We've got some, some, some kind of uh, new font and a logo i don't know about you i like the old thamesmead brand yeah, with yeah. The, the kind of uh, river they seem very keen to separate thames from mead mm, mm. and i mean the marshes the, you know what are the history of the marshes the m most recent times it's been very much used by travelers gypsies as, as a place where you can keep the horses yeah and that's one of the surprises if you come to thamesmead you see these horses just walking around this very super modernist landscape it's surreal um, again, no people. You see these horses and these these massive blocks, which um, you know, some being restored. The marshes run on to places where um, prisoners were sent out in the hulks uh, back in the Victorian yes. period, yeah. and there were fever hospitals yeah. in uh, in Dartford, the big fever hospitals. That if you were the sick of London, were put on boats and brought up, and then they, there was a special railway line that ran from the river up to this isolated hospital with its fever courts where you, you looked out on the sunshine, kind of German fever courts. And it was quite a good hospital, you know, it worked. Yeah. And in the, in the Thatcher period, they started to pull them apart. And in the Blair period, they went all together and there were new hospitals built that were no good. Yeah. And that's the sort of situation we're in now, these brand new buildings that don't work instead of this. Yeah. And here we go, another nice plane coming over. 
because we're on the flight path. <laughs> it, 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 we are literally right under this. It's, uh, I know my planes, unfortunately. Like. It's, uh, it's a Q, Q400 Luxair um, coming in from Luxembourg. Um, coming in from Luxembourg? From Luxembourg, yeah. Uh, well, obviously, money launderers. Yes. I mean, God. <laughs> that that God plane is full of From cash. Luxembourg, people have just <laughs> gone into their hedge funds and they're straight into the city. There's no people on that plane. It's just a lot of euros stacked up. Oh, brilliant. Should we, okay, let's let's walk on in. Um, Ian, what do you think of these things? Uh, these are to stop motorcycles, right? Yeah. I think it's some kind of, like, magnet. But there's, oh, magnet. I think there's a, a very, very strange... I've seen these in Thamesmead before. Two sort of barrier things. And I think, I think it's a magnet to stop you maybe putting your motorcycle through. Oh, because um, it would be a very tempting landscape for motorcycles to go so. revving up these I hills. I think so, nice. exactly. I think a lot of people like to ride their motorbikes here. So this is not something you see in a lot of... Uh, no, you know, don't, don't see this in Victoria Park, but... Um, that's, I'm very happy to tap your expertise on <laughs> planes from Luxembourg in motorcycles. <laughs> I don't know why. The, the fence... I don't know why I know these things. Alongside us, this mesh fence, mm. does look very... It does look like a. It does look it like, does it's look like a, high, so a high security yeah. zone with, with uh, who knows what on the other side. What's on the, so? What does it say? No access, private land. So I wonder what land well, is over there. It's going to be developed. Developed for housing rapidly, yeah. and they yeah. don't. You know, the, the park is is so sort of abstracted mm. in its beauty. Yeah. I, I came in quite early, and it was just it was wonderful, really. I mean, just sort of empty avenues. Yeah. Nicely planted, no obvious activities. Yeah. A couple of picnicking people. And Ian, you were saying that you so you stumbled on this park, didn't you? Yeah, you were, you were I did. walking, I did. walking um, in this area, and it, it just. Well, uh, what I decided it, when, when Elizabeth opened was I wanted to go to Abbey Wood mm. uh, on the instinct that if this line is going there, then there's got to be a huge development yeah. around the back of it, which of course there was. It was development on top of development because Thamesmead was a 1960s project that died horribly for various reasons and then is re being reimagined really mm. with super slogans and the rest. Yeah. So I had a great time in, in Thamesmead and travelling back to the earlier socialist republics and the Corbusier buildings and all the rest of it and I actually found a car that was covered in grass. <laughs> it was wonderful. It's like a bubble car with a thick thatch of grass around it, and all kinds of <laughs> gestural ecologies. And then hit the Thames Path, and I was just making my way back to Woolwich. Mm. I was going to walk back all the way in through Custom House and the rest. And suddenly I noticed this park, which I had been through before, um, years back, coming coming in the same direction, and none of it was here. It was just a, a, a strange little park, and, and now it's a—it's an artwork. It's, it's a kind of mm. neo-pagan religion that's growing up around the idea of being twinned with development, because you—you you now extract vast quantities of earth, mm. and what are you going to do? With, you make—you make these artworks. Yeah. But I hadn't twigged till we looked at that diagram that what it is is a sort of spiritual celebration of the canon yes it really does look like that doesn't it um, but yeah as, as I was saying it, it reminds me a little of Berlin Teufelsberg the, the, a lot of the rubble from the war then was made up into these these mounds 
Um, it kind of makes me think of uh, you know, land art as well. There's yes, giant sir, smiths and mm. kind of, it's got aspects of that. Yeah, yeah. Or uh, you, know, you, you want you're looking for some Ian Hamilton Finlay plaques, <laughs> but you've got big sky. Yeah. Fabulous sky. Yeah. have got great cloud panoramas such as Luke Howard, the man who identified the different forms of clouds, saw in his London walks, mostly the other side of the river. So you could sit on these mounds and just watch the sky and go into a huge John Constable reverie and have a totally different sense of the world than anything that we've got in walking here from Woolwich. Because we've been in little estates and on mm. crazy retail parks yeah. beside roads thick with detritus chucked out of cars. Suddenly we're in this artwork park yeah which nobody is visiting, yes. and we maybe ascend this first mound, let's, which let's, is just a little practice mound. Let's do it. Let's go up, let's go up the first one. Um, but, yeah, the, the clouds, and it's a very, yeah, very picturesque kind of landscape now, isn't it? The, the I mean, they're burial mines, mounds without anybody in it, as far as we know. <laughs> yeah. It may become popular for that later, but, yeah. um, but what, would you, what would be in it except the levels of contamination? You, yeah. could, you could actually bring a Geiger counter and get the readings here. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Isn't it? A lot of things happened. Uh, a lot of industrial processes were happening Absolutely. down here, weren't they? Just Well, I mean, dangerous, you know, the, the, the ones of all the armaments mm. were producing yeah. mega chemicals. Yeah. Just climbing up this, uh, this hill. Um, it's a very surreal place, isn't it, Ian? It's very, and what... Mm. From, from, I mean, I think you climb the first mound like this, then you get the sense of all the other ones. Yes. So, so you see you're in a kind of landscape of mounds, satellite mounds, small ones, babies, yeah. and that's the mother breast mound. That's the, <laughs> the one that you're supposed to go to. That's, that's yeah. the final one that gives you the, the killer view all around, which is what the trip's about. It's kind of aping that, that glacial landscape that you can see sometimes in, uh, in Scotland and places like that, isn't it? I believe... Are they called moulins, these yes. things that you see Moraines. in... Moraines. Moraines, yeah. Those, but they're, they're obviously completely man-made. Mm. And unlike this, the mother mound is, is really a, very much a breast because the top bit is, because of the paths, it looks like a kind of nippled bit at the top. <laughs> and it doesn't have the, the yeah. conical aspect or a pyramidical aspect. Mm. It's not like a, a ziggurat or a Mexican one, yeah. a stepped pyramid. But it's in the general area, and it's the kind of notion that we're we're creating a slightly a new religion to go alongside yes. the development. It's hand in glove with that, which is why I thought it was so fascinating. As yeah. against parks that are full of authentic history, because if yeah. you talk about Victoria Park or something near mm. where I live in Hackney, it's a people's history. You know, there's a history of so many people mm. did things in that park, as well as what the architecture of the park was. Here, you, you're getting you could, you could read the history of cigarette butts. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a few cigarettes but on the floor. unlike Victoria Park, it hasn't got packages of uh, the silver torpedoes, laughing glass things. <laughs> which, which you are, see everywhere. Hipster stuff, which are thick. <laughs> They're not here. Yeah. 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 So the kind of people who come up here are more like a meditative smoke, mm -hmm. a quick look round, yeah. and decide, are you going on to the next one, and the next one, yeah. and the next one, and so on. And then there are these, if we come along a little further, there's this Royal Avenue that actually doesn't go to anything but is yes. it's like an avenue that should come to something noble and great mm. but it, it, it does line up with the, the yeah. Surrey Hills beyond and the water towers on the top there's a kind of 
slight sense of ley lines and, and uh, desire lines and a network of veins throbbing out from this place. Yeah. Yeah, this, uh, I think there are new energies here which haven't yet been tapped. Yeah, I wonder who the people the who cult will follow. Yes, exactly. Well, who's going to who's going to come here and? Uh... I, mean, I think yeah, because we, we were chatting earlier on about J.G. Ballard and we were indeed. You know, millennial kingdoms and whatever the sort of the spirituality of huge mega mall supermarkets, whatever. I mean, I can see a kind of a cult growing up here of people who come out onto these mounds. Under the flight path, wait till the Luxembourg yeah. flight is bringing in the dealers, and then walk. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does have that aspect. What are you, what are you channeling? Because you've got uh, Belmarsh Prison there. Yeah, Belmarsh over there. You've got um, Thamesmead. Thamesmead with its clockwork orange aspects yeah. alongside the lake. You've got a whole series of murders of people racially. Um, initiated murders and mm -hmm. criminality then on the other side you've got these huge um, sewage beds in embarking and the cross nest sewage cross pumping nest. station mm -hmm. here so one of the times i was walking down the, the path the thames path towards uh dartford we were stopped at cross nest and there was a police across the river and they wouldn't say what it was and, and they absolutely refused to sell us and then a little crowd built up because there were cyclists and, and then eventually this guy had to give way and said it was a royal personage was coming. And then on, on, you could see on the, on the ring road a, a kind of cavalcade of black limos and outriders. It was Prince Charles. Prince Charles. Turning up to, to reopen Cross Nest yeah. pumping station. <laughs> I mean, that, that's the kind of weirdness of England. Yeah. That in this out of the way, complete place, they've decided to make the sewage cathedral the big selling point in Thamesmead legacy now. History begins in Thamesmead and visit the, the museum of the sewage pumping station. Oh, yeah, great. <laughs> but it's not a museum for the people who were drowned when the, the pumping station was pumping its filth into the river. Yes, <laughs> indeed. Um, there's, there's something about the, the formality of this park which kind of reminds me a little of... Um... And, and see, I mean, we're, we're in a formal park yeah. where the mounds have been... Man-made exactly. yeah, very, very man On the left, but behind this fence that we were denied access on private land, is a series of actually more interesting mounds that are just natural, grown yeah. up on the detritus of buildings that were, where bombs are being tested and been destroyed. And you can see bits and pieces of these old buildings in that landscape. Yeah. But it's going to be a development. Yeah. And the, the the land here is actually owned by the developer still, who's leased ah. it out, and he's done this as a sort of uh, a gesture, you know. Yeah. So it's a bit of sort of cosmetic laundering for the development. Yeah. Well, let's. Should we? Should we step yeah. step down here? And it's, it's fascinating. Um, I must say. It, it it really is. Yeah. It's um. There's there's something about the um. Yeah. The the formality that reminds me a little of uh, Parc de la Villette, uh, in in Paris. I don't know if you've uh, ever been to that one with a. It's kind of. Where is that? Uh, it's um. On the site of the old abattoirs, oh, right. um, on the the, well, the Canal de Luc in the east, and uh, yeah, there's all these very strange um, kind of sculptures and lots of straight lines. Um, it was a kind of. Uh, there's what's curious here is there aren't any sculptures. No. Whereas no yeah. outside the station or in any of the mm. developed bits, they're it's thick with sculptures. Mm. As you come into Woolwich along the canal, the towpath, 
you have this group that looked like Anthony Gormley's. They're not, but there's a there's a kind of human group of yeah. naked figures standing there, and there's tons of that stuff. But here, what I like here is there's nothing. Yeah. They're just the mounds. Yeah. And they've they've resisted putting in these kind of over-egged statues, which don't mean anything. It's uh, it's a very very hot and sunny day, but there's uh, very few people in. Uh, in, in the park. Be, it would be a really nice, if you lived in these estates, mm. it would be quite a nice place to, and, you know, yeah. There's not a lot of shade in the, the bits between the mounds, mm. but there are, there's a, there are tree-lined avenues. Yeah. You could find a nice patch of shade. Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, it's, uh, yeah, you can see that, well, you can see the desire lines going up to the, the top of the mounds as well, can't you? People, people naturally love to, to climb up things, don't they? I think, well, this time, what, what happened when I came before, I went just straight up to the top of this mound, sideways, and I could see this figure of the other guy, the other walker, was circling slowly, <laughs> slowly round. And I think that was the, probably the better way to do it than whether we coincided mm. at the top. <laughs> and then he gave me the history of, of everything. It was wonderful, you know, to have someone who'd yeah. grown up here and seen the changes in the landscape. What did he tell you about uh, what, what had gone here, what had gone on here before? Uh, n- not much on this specific site. Yeah. He just remembered it as a, variously as a sort of waste ground and a mm. little bit of a municipal park. But then beyond, you could see uh, where Thamesmead is. You know, he was talking about certain pubs where mm. British National Party met and they wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't let anybody else come in and etc. Uh, etc. Et and um, and then he, he just loved to walk through to Oxley Wood and mm. Shooters Hill and <coughs> follow the Greenway across. Yes. They've got a little play park for kids at the bottom of the hill. Yeah, where we're going to a playground. The, the, play, the in- instruments of play actually do look like sculptures. They do a little bit, don't they? Well, look at this, Ian. Uh, Royal Borough of Greenwich, our 2012... <laughs> Legacy, and you wrote uh, you were writing quite a lot about the the Olympics, weren't you? And uh, <laughs> what was happening, uh, what was happening uh, in in Stratford uh, during during that point? Um, Not just in Stratford. So I I shot up straight up there last time, but I think it'd be probably a good thing to find the we start do the, of the actual let's do that. park and yeah. wind our way up. We'll wind our way up definitely. Um, so then, when I finished, I came straight down. And I cut straight through this estate, which brought you straight out on Belmarsh. Right. And there were dozens and dozens of, of yellow ribbons protesting the imprisonment and torture, as they said, of Julian Assange, mm. who's still waiting, I believe, to, to face extradition to the USA. Mm. We're, uh, we're just passing, passing some uh, houses that look very... Uh, Almost. So you've got a series of sort of cuts, of direct paths. Yeah, paths that you and can I go to the top of the mound. There must be a point where there's a sort of official access. <coughs> it's not a big park. It's fairly token. Yeah. But possibly significant. Mm. In, in, does it matter which side I stand? Oh no, we've kind of changed sides. Don't bother with that. <laughs> we've changed sides. But no, that's okay. Sound people are always the most neurotic. Yeah. In my early experience of 
doing stuff. <laughs> they, they were always half crazy, you know. You, you had to stand in exactly where you yeah. stood before. No, I, I... They can always hear... No, oh, wait, stop, There's stop, a noise, stop. yeah. Is, is it a plane? No, no, no. There's like, there's a <laughs> caterpillar. Well, it, a caterpillar, yeah. I think that I think the only I think the only issue today is it's a bit breezy, uh, oh, yeah, which breezy. is Good. yeah. Oh, you've got your dog hair. The, the, that's that. You've got that, your wig on. The, the wig on the microphone is helping slightly, but um, but yeah. What's the, the, uh, what should they call? There's a term for a pubic wig. <laughs> like I've a merkin. A merkin. A merkin. That's the one. Yeah. <laughs> a, a microphone. Merkin. A microphone merkin. <laughs> we'll call it that from now on. Fox uh, glove. Fox glove. Fox glove path. Pro I, I I love it when you go to these kind of um, these places and they're trying to they're trying to ape the idea that they're in the countryside. Um, well, they are, but it's a, it's a kind of mm. strange hybrid countryside, like like calling yeah. London Fields a, you know a wilderness garden when it's a, <laughs> a bit of old uh, red ash that's been specially chemically treated to come up with some poppies for a week. <laughs> Do you go to London Fields Park often? I, I go through it every mm. morning. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, which, is, which is fascinating sociologically, just seeing the changes of what, what's been happening yeah. there over the years. Yeah. I mean, now it's it's a kind of exercise island. It's an open-air gym um, for, for humans and dogs. Yeah. And you can Always. hear the thud, thud, thud of the boxing gloves and the grunting yeah. and the, the sound boxes. And there are people doing Pilates and yeah. whatever. Yeah. And then the bicycles is coming into the Lido, which would be you. Exactly, that's me. Exactly, every every, every day. <laughs> you go every day. Yeah. I do. Yes, I love my I love my swim down there. Yeah, yeah I mean, so many people do. Obviously, mm. it kind of starts. My neighbours do. Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to hard to get a slot in there uh, in the summer. Cotting's always in there. It's cotting there. I'll have yeah, to look out for it. Yeah, always in there when he when he's in London. Yeah. I, I feel um, he, he's not going to be unhappy that I've. Uh, I've asked you to come on this podcast without him. Is, oh is, no! Is oh God no! God, we're not married. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love, no. I, I, I love the, I love the duo that you uh, that you guys make in, <laughs> yeah. in 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 your films. You have a very good rapport, like in Swan Down, and um, well, I enjoy his energy and his madness, yeah. you know, and his yeah. drive. Uh, he actually there's a in, there's an exhibition going on still for another two or three weeks, I think, in mm. Cheap Lane, just off London Fields with Andrew and his daughter Eden oh. um, and it's it's at the moment I think you've got you've got the joint paintings they do together you've got some sculptural heads and you've got one of the films they made together but the final thing is you can get this headset a VR virtual reality headset in which you take a trip around this um, farmhouse in the Pyrenees that's completely collapsed and run down yeah where he spends a lot of time with the summer. So it's absolutely amazing to yeah. experience. You sit in this thing, you move around, and you see the entire room around you, and then things in the room start to... Old photographs start to animate, and this film of Eden on the wall. I mean, really, really uncanny, amazing yeah. experience. Yeah, that sounds so very... So I recommend that for anyone very, very around London Fields. Very interesting. So, OK, here we go, the official we're, path. We're going to go up the path, so we're going to start, start walking up the... Up the mound. Um, I wanted so to. We'll be coming around in a sort of yeah, anti-clockwise, a, I guess. In a circle. Yeah. I, I, I wanted to ask you a little bit about um, well, what we're talking about, costing as well, about about filmmaking, Ian, because yes, a lot of um, I'm sure a lot of people will have 
read read your books, but obviously your well, your films. More, see, <laughs> I tell you this because just just of late, from being in Brussels, mm. City of London, down in Hastings, yeah, people have started to stop me. So, oh, are you? Are you yeah, the guy so from Swandown? And I said, yeah, yeah. So, oh, oh, I love you. Have you read any books? Oh, no, not books. No, I haven't read any books. I've <laughs> seen you in John Rogers' film. And then in Hastings. Yeah. I thought, oh, I saw Swandown. So, yeah. essentially, you kind of register as a minor eccentric in these films by by John Rogers and yeah. Andrew Cotty. But nobody reads the books. No, yeah. That's, that's God. You just, too much, like, I, hard work. Yeah, I have, I have the same thing, Ian. Like, you, you can publish books and... Uh, but no, no, yeah, no, no one seems to read them. But as soon as you're on the radio or TV, everyone's that's it. oh yes, yeah, I, I saw you on this. That's the world. But yeah, never didn't read the book. But but no, I think you. I mean, I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I just I don't want to be bothered to, to say how wonderful John Rogers. <laughs> but you've uh, you've obviously yeah collaborated with um, people like Cotting and Chris Pettit as well. Yes, I'm yes. a very big Chris Pettit fan. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff that uh, that you. Hopefully, you've... we're going to be collaborating again shortly. Are you? What's that going to be? Um, uh... I've just finished a, a kind of mega project um, about the photographer John Deakin, who was um, an associate of Bacon and took a lot of the photographs that Bacon used in his paintings mm. of Henrietta Moraes and Lucian Freud and so on. Mm. So I got given a massive archive of Deakin photographs that had not been published or whatever. They were all kept in, in the Rochelle canteen in... Um, Arnold Circus. So I lived with these things and I did this biggish book, which is a sort of cultural history from the margins mm. of a guy who was a photographer, gay photographer, drunk, mm. who was on the edge of this circle. And what I proposed when this was finished was that Chris and I would do a film just entirely based on the photographs, like Chris Marco's La Jete, but making up kind of our own myths and stories based on these photographs and that's the starting point it looks like we should be able to do it because yeah. it's been really hard to I'm just going to take a stone out of my shoe you should do yeah um, let's perch for a minute shall we you know we haven't, we haven't been able to get any money to do anything jointly yeah for god knows how many years 20 odd years or whatever well I I I yeah, it's, it's it's a shame as well. London Orbital was such a yeah. such a fascinating project that you guys did, and I, I love I love you know, Radio One is one of my favourite films. Oh, Chris's yeah, film. Chris's film. I mean, we were talking about Ballard earlier. That's really a homage mm. to to Ballard and to the the kind of German German new wave. I'm such a fan of those those films as well. And it's I think, a German film, you know, isn't it? It's completely a yeah a German film that yeah. happens to be made in England. Yeah, it's exactly. Vendor's sort of production it, type film with his his technical yeah. crew and everything yeah. and Chris adapting that to an English landscape I'm going I, music. I, I'm going to Bristol next week and uh, I, I, whenever I do that journey it always makes me think of, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. of, uh, of Radio 1 but I think that the way that you know people like Vin Vendors and Chris and, and yourself show landscapes and show the city it opens people's eyes to everything that's a, around them and, and I think you know we need we need to look right oh for sure well, we, we need to look and to explore hmm. and to be out here, you know, just randomly get out there somewhere and nose about um, yeah. because we're so addicted to the other forms of reality. Hmm. And people, oh, you just go Google 
Google Belmarsh, but you don't. That doesn't tell you really anything. Mm. You just have to be there. You have to experience it, and that's that's basically all. Yeah. And I think there was like from the mid '90s, there was a there was a really interesting tradition with, with like Andrew Cotting's head-on gallivant, which also involved this mm. beautiful story with his his grandmother and his young daughter who wasn't expected to live very long, mm. and he goes on this pilgrimage around the edge of Britain, and Patrick Keeler. Um, still images of, of London like almost like look at life then given this yeah. hugely ironic cultivated European take on the top of it which was a critique of society very funny mm-hmm. and Pettit coming back to do film essays because he couldn't get the financing for feature films anymore um, and all of that was going on at the yeah. same time and, uh, and lots of other people and Ballard of course was had been for years ahead and writing in very interesting ways about these landscapes and mm. the psychopathology of these landscapes. Yeah. Imagining Canary Wharf and aspects of that development years before it happened. Yeah. Because he, he, he logically saw this is where it has to come next. He's, he saw where it came from, where, where it was going to come, yeah. High Rise was, yeah, his, his kind of vision for what, what, would be, what would be on the Isle of Dogs in the future. I was, um, I was looking through some old uh, notes emails yesterday Ian and I saw that um, I'd been in co- conversation with Patrick Kielter I was writing to him in 2014 mm-hmm. and um, I was telling him that I'd been to see you uh, talking at uh, there was an old hospital in um, near Tower Hamlet Cemetery oh um, I know my, my land, uh, hospital yeah. which had been an asylum really Exactly the asylum, the asylum yeah, figures you, in W. G. Sebald's Austerlitz, yeah, in, exactly, mm. exactly. And, and you were t- you were talking about Patrick, um, uh, Patrick uh, Keeler, yeah, uh, work there. And Patrick said, oh, he was very happy to hear that you'd uh, you'd been mentioning uh, mentioning him. But I love his work as well, and I think the the yeah, way that he I, shows I love the way it, it went, like radical looking, isn't it? It's very and it went crazy. <laughs> <laughs> in a sense, I think London was a was a perfect film for for mm. time and place, and I. I felt such a kinship with it because I, I was doing lights out for the territories, mm. a series of actual London walks, and he has these imaginary created mm. London walks as beautiful essay forms in the film, and then the Robinson in space is almost unstoppable. I mean, mm. it, it's this, the weight of fact and information and everything that goes into there. There's no way you, that journey could ever really end. Yeah. And and then the final one, uh, well, I mean, if the final one or the third one of the trilogy in Oxford, it's like a person who's, who's become completely deranged because yeah. of the state of everything that he predicted or found from the earlier yeah. films. So it's kind of tragic and funny. Yeah. The, uh, the narrative running through it is hilarious uh, as well. It's mangled a bit for me by Vanessa Redgrave taking over the voicing from Paul Schofield. Yes. Paul, Paul Schofield had a perfect yeah. perfect voice, even yeah. with strange diction for the original two. Yeah. Uh, Vanessa Redgrave was, was mangling things. I mean, she just wasn't taking the trouble to to get the words right. Yeah. And you couldn't presumably correct her. Yeah. So it, but Vanessa that made Redgrave, it that yeah. made it quite interesting. Mm. You know, there was a, suddenly it's a woman and it's it's all become deeply deeply strange and there's nowhere to go. Yeah. But it also sat alongside a big exhibition he did at the Tate yeah which um, it twinned with quite nicely I, I think that the idea of the the unreliable uh, unreliable narrator as well is really interesting and the, the story that that goes along with uh, with those films um, 
you know about the the main the main character and his kind of sexual dalliances yeah, and his, yeah. his obsession with Rambo. It's sort of quite but, funny, isn't it? You know, we, we were talking about um, truth and lies. Mm, and yeah, what's, what what's true? I yeah. mean, I don't think it's possible to write something mm. now that's in in the capsule of being pure fiction yeah. or or else pure documentation. Yeah. That they just bleed totally into each other. You start off. I mean, I find mm. that with this Deakin book, yeah. because I'm, in, I'm only I've only got sort of limited material to use. Essentially, you've got the photographs, and you've got a series of stories and anecdotes that he always told, and the same ones come back a little bit different all the time. Mm. So that you're freed up to to take whatever you can read psychically from the character and and basically invent structures, mm. which I think in the end feel truer than than trying to do yeah. one or the other in a pure form. Yeah, that's a really, really interesting point. When when I was um, writing my novel, The Wall in the Head, I, you know, it's a, it's a work of fiction, but there are aspects of, of of a reality that I've walked through. There's a lot of a lot of characters walking through uh, Balladian dystopian landscapes in Berlin and Birmingham mm-hmm. and, and and other places. And I think, yeah, for me, I, I think uh, I, I love the way that you do that, Ian, as well. That blend of, of facts and fiction has really, really appealed uh, to me. I love in well, Hack, that w- Hackney, that rose red empire as well. You're, you're kind of talking about uh, those those stories. I, you know, I, I read that I read that book several times. I've, there's so many things I wanted to ask you if, if it was true and if it was not true. I love the well, idea. Everything's of the, true. Yeah, it's just uh, nothing is real. Everything is true. <laughs> but then you, you you know you hear about like the mole man and you think how can yeah, this guy be? Oh, t- how can this mole guy man be t- is true. <laughs> it's real. But you just think how is but it is possible? He, is he? Because he, how is it possible? True. He's, yeah. He he himself was a complete fantasist mm. and and the nice thing or interesting thing with the mole man is that so many people were drawn in oh wow what a freak mm. um it's got to be a great film and they'd start to do something with him and you realize it was madder and stranger than anything you could and the relation between him and the filmmaker mm. became so intense generally women just kind of backed off and, and said this i'm not doing this anymore <laughs> you begin to wonder what's in the tunnels yeah his, his wife and daughter disappeared you know oh no we're not going anywhere near that and then the strange thing that the house is bought by these two young yba mm. artists and is now kind of david ajay david ajay yeah with aspects of the tunnel a gothic thing as a kind of gothic feature in your basement it's a very, very well. If you don't, people don't know the story. The mole man was, uh, yeah, this guy who uh, he lived in uh, in De Beauvoir town in in Hackney and uh, dug all these tunnels, um, you know, go, going under the street from his house and uh, got in got in a lot of trouble because he was damaging the the foundations of uh, other people's buildings. But in another culture, they'd have been they'd been taken up as artworks, yeah. so outsider art. Yeah. Because it wasn't just Our that brood. he dug tunnels. He, mm. he embedded old fridges into the walls. <laughs> and they were like strange sculptural yeah. artifacts. Yeah. And there were books and pornography and everything. It was like it was a mad, mad, mad scheme. Mm. But you could have preserved it as a, as a map of some kind yeah. of um, derangement that was going on in Hackney at the same time as people were digging out extremely expensive basements that was perfectly okay. And now I read in the in the book Serious Money, which I was having to review, is that when they're digging out the basements in Kensington and Chelsea, they now leave the diggers in the in their own excavations rather than bring them out because it's cheaper just to throw them away and leave them buried than it is to close off the street and bring in a heavy duty yeah. crane to take them out. Yeah, 
It's so, uh, so what's under there? You know, like what's under here? Yeah, this is and this is the thing, isn't it? The, the, you know, the you idea. Can smell of, it. Yeah, there's you know you can actually smell this this level of. Uh, there was a strange tang oh, in the air. Oh yeah, 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 forever, absolutely. It's yeah. like I don't know what it is quite, but there's a land, it doesn't, doesn't smell dumps. Yeah, it doesn't smell that uh, great. Well, I, I don't. I, well, actually, sewage, well, the sewage, is, of course. Well, this is quite worrying. Black. I can see some black smoke coming from over there okay, as well, which good, looks good, good, maybe yeah. like some kind of uh, that's it. Fire. Thamesmead is on fire. Oh dear. This is it. <laughs> it's apocalypse. Yeah, everything. Uh, it's, uh, that, that's so uh, we're talking about Concrete Island and there's all this stuff about he yeah. sets his car on fire and he starts to set blankets on fire mm. and there's all these images of fire in, in Concrete Island there is combined with looking at the sun going down so you're looking out there to the west mm. where there's a tower blocks have come in so it's almost like a projection onto Grenfell Tower mm. I mean not that he's obviously predicting that but there is a sense that this this development is headlong and not properly validated and that things are going to happen yeah and he's he's got this psychodrama playing out sort of i think more as much like shakespeare's tempest as it is like robinson crusoe yeah because he's got a kind of caliban figure this strange acrobat uh, tramp who's very strong and almost subhuman and and um, and a miranda a woman a sort of sprightly woman who goes off as a prostitute onto motorways at night. So I, I, I wish Ballard, Ballard I wish Ballard was here today to oh, so do I. to kind yeah. of give give us his his take on you know if he could, could well, have he, seen he, the pandemic I mean, and he could he have would, seen um, the love riffing on this, but mm. if you said to him, you know, and well in Concrete Island would did you, would you and you know, he mm. he's not he's just shutting off. But yeah. if if he's riffing freely on this landscape, I'm sure he'd be absolutely Delighted. Well, I think one of, one of the things that appeals to me about Ballard is he he, he sort of you know, we're looking at these houses now. Ballard would see he would show us the inside of the house and maybe the violence that was happening inside, or the, yeah. the, the sadness, or the the craziness. But also, he loves it. Yeah, it's not he's not being <laughs> satiric of it. He actually yeah. likes it. Yeah, I mean, he he, he incubates that that sense of apocalypse mm. because he sees. I mean, he seems to be. Trapped, and I think it goes back to partly the well, it was the a war, wasn't it? In the war. In, yeah, and then secondly, moving from that to yeah. a sort of English public school yeah. in Cheltenham, in, um, in, in uh, Cambridge, yeah, the Lees School in Cambridge. Mm. These two things are kind of prisons, and 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 they involve huge elements of boredom. Mm. So for him, when he looked at the contemporary world, there was this uh, microclimate, this layer yeah. of boredom. And it, it, it clamped society into an anime that there, there was no engagement. And so you had to come up with a, a violent act, really, to break through into some kind of life again. I think he shows us the violence of, of Englishness as well. I mean, we, we think of this bucolic landscape, but I guess our peace has come from, well, you know, we're sitting on an old armaments factory. We were but his, exporting. His, his violence cooks very much... Um, among the middle mm. classes, sort yeah. of the, the, the wealthy, half comfortable yeah. architects and designers and whatever are, are brooding on the sort of psychotic behaviour. Mm. Whereas he, he doesn't really um, look into what, what happens with the, the actual people who yeah. have got working lives down here, don't particularly interest him, I don't think, in the same way as he's not interested in the, the older buildings of London or, or dealing with any of that history. Yeah. And, and also his, his ecology is kind of quite profound, you know, in a sense that 
he knows all this is, is whimsical and that mm. nature will just, when it's been abused, will wipe it all out. Yeah, exactly. And however many years, whether it's 100 or 100,000, none of this will be here. None of us will be here. The, no. the land, land will have taken, taken over again. As well as, I mean, the park, I think he'd love this park because mm. he's, he's got such a love of painters like Delvaux and De Chirico, you know, this sense yeah. of these these stripped dream landscapes with nothing really happening mm. and then something would happen here so I w if if he was around you know I'd have taken some photos here and sent them to send him them and, to and him, he kind yeah. of you know he, he doesn't you do it but he doesn't need it he knows it you know mm. essentially <laughs> I felt it's it's interesting to do it when he wasn't very well to send him stuff but he he kind of knows it all and and he's he's he seemed to have plotted everything he was doing yeah. right through to the end so that the last book just gives you the real story behind all the others yeah there was there was obviously perfect a career i mean he wrote the same book over and over in so many different ways <laughs> I, well, I, suppose, I think we all do we, we all, we all do we do. all do that <laughs> uh, i don't know if we all do i i do i know he does fragment two uh, there's obviously a, a very uh very english sensibility to to ballard um but i i one of the things i wonder about is um how there's almost a link to a kind of French avant-garde. I, I oh, see, with him, yeah. Right, I see that, yeah, yeah and yeah. I, you know, I see that with you and with Jonathan Meads and with with so many others as well, like the idea of the flaneur. And you know, you but, wrote about Godard, didn't you? Ian? Oh yeah, a lot. But I mean, he uh, Ballard loved the French avant-garde mm. cinema. I grew up yeah. with that. One of his favourite writers was Jeunet. Yeah. Um, so yes, that yeah. because it was subversive culture when he was a student that was where you, you would look yeah. to you know and uh, Keeler's always talking about Rambo yes yes very much yeah, yeah. and yeah. The, the, you know the word flaneur we don't really have a kind of English uh, translation for for that but um, yeah it's a, I, I always feel like there's there's a kind of French influence isn't there in well, our well I've probably never been very comfortable with the flaneur thing you know mm. the idea it's it feel it's like it belonged to a certain period of decadence and it's to do with being able or free just to kind of roam in the the, sh the shopping malls and centres of the city and look at look at things in windows and all that and it's all very um, lazy and decorous. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I think there's this thing a fuger who's like you're, you're trapped in this fugue of mad walking. You know you're off for truly epic journeys. In, I mean this what we did this afternoon is not flaneuring. We, yeah. we were we were in something much crazier than that. Yes, yes. It's like going off piste. We so were, were we, on the, on the you roundabout. You might start as a flaneur in the, in end the up as gentlemanly a environs of, of the Elizabeth line, and then within two minutes you're into... Where's this well, one from? Here we, well, this is... This <laughs> is another so this one is, from the this is, this is a British Airways uh, plane. Who knows where that's from? Maybe Berlin or... Uh, a rare British Airways plane. Yeah. It's, like, like it's not been cancelled. <laughs> bird spotter. <laughs> Should we walk? Should we walk a yeah, little more in? Yeah, let's go to the top. Yeah, let's yeah. let's go up to the let's go up to the top. Um, um, what that, what did I want to ask you? There, there was one thing I wanted to ask you, Ian. A lot of um, you know when I'm doing these conversations, I ask people about their park memories. Yes. And for you, I wonder if it's a little different because you worked in parks. Didn't I did, you? I did, but that yeah. was kind of, you know it's in my early adulthood, really. Mm. But my my part original park memory would be as a, a child, you know, in, in Wales. I grew up in a, a kind of coal mining town called Mystade, but there was a, a wonderful park which had elements of this. It had kind of formal bits. Right. But it had lots of wilderness and wild wood mm. and 
and that was such a landscape just to be able to go and in those days yeah you know when you were seven or eight there was no problem about going off and roaming about these kids in places that would you know now you'd be nervous and panicking about your kids doing it and i think that's a very very good point i remember when i was a kid as well my parents said come back for your tea at five o'clock right. and just do what you want and it was it, i think that's you know what's well, probably made me started it, me off yeah it was a post industrial landscape yeah. of abandoned railways you actually mm -hmm. walk through railway tunnels and hope nothing was coming there were slag heaps on the edges of the mm. coal mines which looked like this and were beginning to be grown over mm. and that was, that was the thing of being out there exploring all day long yeah and then later obviously in my uh, 20s early 20s I became a parks gardener just, just down there mm. and that's the speed of history is that I was driving a tractor around what is the Canary Wharf yeah, <laughs> I mean it's not that long ago. Yeah, this is only in the 1970s. So there was a park on that on that place, or was that? Oh, I don't know if it was that exact, but I mean, general in the general yeah. area. There yeah, was, yeah. There was so much just grass the of dogs, yeah. and abandoned mm. and stuff because the docks had gone and failed, mm. and they hadn't started to build. So we used to drive the tractor down from the sheds, which were. Further, further up and come down to the Isle of Dogs and spend a nice afternoon with the tractors behind me and yeah <laughs> and then um, next day you'd be in the Hawksmoor churches yes and yeah. this, this is reminding me of that you know the sense being in those Hawksmoor churches and seeing how they linked up with each other and made patterns and designs mm. and where we are now is sort of seemingly something else <laughs> because of the planes we're yeah, we're on this flight. Now. We're right. We're right under we're the. We're in the eye of London. We really are, exactly. Um, so there's almost, um, but the, the shape of it kind of reminds me of the Millennium Dome a little as well, which I think we can probably so see. In the, really, this is stunning. In the distance. Um, That's Barking Creek. So yeah, over on our right. So we're on top of this big hill now, and you actually get a very, very. Uh, very, very good panoramic view. Another plane, British Airways uh, plane landing at London City Airport. It's, it's going to the City Airport, or is it go up the city, Thames to... City, yeah. Because the Heathrow ones do follow down the they, Thames. They do, yeah. Those uh, those small Embraer planes are uh, the ones you get at uh, the, the City Airport. Germans call, call the, the Thames Zeeschlanger, where the sea serpent... Because the sea serpent? Because yeah. in the war, you know, so use the... Thames as a thing for bombing raids. Right. Sort of follow it. They can follow this, it. All this would have yeah. been up in flame. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Fragment 3. Ian, do you think it's um, do you think it's important for uh, a writer to have had experiences and have oh, yeah. things that you can draw on rather than just sitting sitting oh. there and on your desk? I, I, you know, you I, well, you always. Well, ri- it depends who you are. <laughs> for for an ordinary human, I, I mean, I think to have years of experience every mm. year you bank is is valuable, really valuable. Yeah. And to have that kind of uh, starry Martin Amos type career where you come straight out of university and you write some smart book and then you're, mm. you're in the system and you, you're never going to have more of a job than as a literary editor or a creative writing teacher. Or whatever. Yeah. That's it. And then it becomes very self-conscious and mm. I don't think there's a lot of life in it. So yeah. I you know, prefer people who've had the sort of experiences that people like... Ballard had, or, or someone like Mike Moorcock, who we haven't mentioned, who um, mm. started doing this about 15. You know, he's mm. he's out there editing Tarzan comics, or Alan Moore, yeah, who, was, who had strange jobs on motorways. He worked in Milton Keynes. What was Alan Moore's job uh, on the? He was some kind of. I don't know what he was. He was in the planning offices or whatever in Milton Keynes. Yeah. So anyway, and then he's obviously start doing his own comics and then mm. whatever and wait until he's writing huge epic novels but th- those kind of l- writers have enormous life and a lot, a lot of varied experiences before they start to do it yeah and I think it's about having those experiences and meeting meeting those people I love a, a Jonathan Mead's anecdote when he's talking about these artists and musicians and actors that he's met and and also, the, you know, he's gone to a bar, or he's gone to a... I love John, Jonathan talks about things like slaughterhouses or rubbish tips or those kind of things as well. Like, I, I feel like you need to see the, the breadth of humanity and the breadth of the yeah, world and yeah, to, yeah, yeah. to walk around the roundabout and see the McDonald's and, you know, not just kind of exist in this... Well, it's, I think it's harder to... Like, again... From the 60s point of view, I, I could go out any morning I wanted to and I'd mm. get a job cutting the grass in here yeah. or something. Yeah. And this would be really interesting. Mm. And you'd meet the old boys who'd been doing it for 20 years, yeah. 50 years, and you'd get all their stories, work in Truman's Brewery, get see, see how the culture of the pub works, the mechanics of the brewing, the part of the brewery and the system of the city. Mm. And then happily you, you could walk away after a while. You're not stuck in it for life. And so gradually accumulated a lot of insight into things that happen within these buildings. I mean, what's it like to work in one of those retail park factories? Because I've walked along the Thames here and gone into those places. 
and they don't know where they are. Mm. So I was walking with, with Anna, my wife, down the pole yeah. Thames, and we went to one, of the, uh, uh, one bit further down here at Eurith, and said, oh, can you tell us where the, the Thames is? And they said, what's that? So it was, it's a big you know, river thing. It's wet. It's yeah. a river with this, there's a bridge, there's a... Oh, he said, oh, the bridge, yeah. I think there's a bridge. If you, oh, it's like 50 yards further, the other side of this block, was, was the, the Thames and the QE2 bridge. And they just, they came in, they drove in, they stopped, they went into the factory in the dark, and they, cut, and they kind of sat there all day, they had meals and drank and had cups of tea, and then they got in the car and went home again. They didn't know where they were, mm. literally at all. And that's frightening. Yeah. It's it's uh, oft, often the way with these, yeah, these kind of liminal landscapes, isn't it? You, you're kind well, of now very. It's on, it's on your phone, isn't it? So yeah. Kind of know. <laughs> it knows where you are. <laughs> some someone knows at some point. Um, also, I, I I mean, you know, we're we're, we're both writers. I, I I passionately believe in the power of words to, you know, tell tell these stories and in their emotive power and their artistic power. Um, but I, I don't know if it, it sounds too much of a basic question, but you know, what was it about writing for you, Ian? What was it about words that you, you know you could have maybe done music or art or? or well, I couldn't. Oh, yeah. It was the only thing you could do. I couldn't do anything you could, else. Couldn't do anything That's else. Basically, yeah. it. I, yeah. It took me a while to kind of in, yeah. the only two things I could do when I was in school was, was write strange stories. Sometimes mm. it worked, and sometimes they. They were thought to be ridiculous or grotesque, or whatever. It wasn't always popular, but I, I mean, I kind of could just do it. Mm. Or, or playing rugby, and that was it. And the rest of it, I... so um, like it wasn't a kind choice. of Frank, like a kind of Frank Machen character. Oh, not quite, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. It wasn't big enough for that. But, uh, essentially, that's how it went. So, it's, yeah. Uh, but I kind of was able to accumulate the experiences of all kinds of writing, you know, by doing plays and mm. lots, of, lots of films and film reviews and journals. And cinema was the other thing that was very much a, yeah. a passion for me. And then um, the question of having to make a living. So, mm. I mean, either you, you do some form of teaching or yeah. you're happy. Out in the world, scratching about as a labourer. Yeah. Until luckily, I, I hit this book dealing thing by mm. by accident of just being left some books and uh, tried to sell them. And, yeah, I saw it was absolutely impossible to take books into shops and get any money. I knew what they were worth, and they'd give you nothing. So I got a stall, and suddenly they were all yeah. going, and that was it. And I did that for years. And that was great. I met some really interesting people. Learned an awful lot. Yeah. I must say. Yeah. The downside is you're you're a free psychiatrist. You're trapped. <laughs> people ask you. Know, you. These same people who kind of mad advice, and come yeah. and stand there for hours and hours and t- they don't ask you anything. They tell you. Uh, they tell you. Sometimes the, it's interesting. Well, that 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 makes me think of my favourite part of whenever I do a book talk and. Uh, it's either the question is in two parts or it's more of a, a comment than a question. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> people I, are never really asking. They're always kind of telling you. Very few people ask telling, a real question. Yeah, telling tell you something, aren't they? But I think, I mean, your, 
you know, your, your writing stood out, uh, stood out to me. And when I was, uh, when I, when I was young in the way that, um, Jonathan Meters did and in the way that I loved Chris, I loved the way Chris Morris played with language as well. Mm, the the mm. playfulness, the inventiveness, the, 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 the kind of fire that was, that was in there really, really spoke to me. Um, you know, you can read any, any piece of text and, um, actually, you know, language is there to be manipulated and to be experimented well, with and to be... That, you know, that's interesting because when I first started to read Batlard in the 60s, I, I, the language was so plain mm. and so stripped down, I didn't, didn't get it in the same way yeah. that you're reading um, William Burroughs or yeah. Joyce or something. The language is mm. phenomenally active and rich. It's mm. doing all kinds of things. But Ballard never did that. Yeah. It's like, it absolutely penny plain. Mm. But as time's gone on, I've appreciated how how clever that is and how beautifully managed it is. Mm. So minimalist. Yeah. And I think Chris Pettit's books are written some, somewhat similarly to to Ballard's, in that he's he's um, got a very spare style. Yeah. Yeah. There's um, yeah, obviously different, uh, yeah, different, different kind of uh, different kinds of. Uh, but I, uh, I like writers who really do the business of writing. Yeah, yeah. It's an active, it's an active act, like, like painting. You know, it's it's not just a form of transcription. Or yeah. Connection. Well, language is constantly evolving as well, isn't it? Which always in, intrigues well, me. Yeah. You know, when you. A lot of books. Now seem to be almost written by program, mm. a machine. You could, you could almost see how they're manipulated. Yeah. I think it will come even more so. Yeah. Well, we can we probably, we, you know, we feel like we can automate almost everything. Maybe we yes. could have robotic writers. I'm sure you've already. Uh, may, maybe, you maybe could, you, you could do a little description of the, the, the mounds and coming out here, <laughs> and then you press a program that gives you the bad yeah. version. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. Press a program that gives you the Beckett version of it, <laughs> existential comedy, yeah. and so the on. The Ian and so Sinclair on. version. Very easy to do. Yeah. I'm sure that can be done. Yeah, maybe maybe in 20 years' time we'll be uh, we'll be out, out on our so ears. We will, we'll be, no, I think we'll be content providers, content or harvesters. Yeah, we we'll go around with that thing, and just sort of hoover up some stuff <laughs> for a machine or, or a corporation. Yeah, and, and then. Plug it in. an algorithm to say what yeah. people really want mm. so whatever is most wanted of an expedition there will be a part of the story yeah you're only doing a kind of wallpaper in the background yeah they can't, don't have to be fagged to come all the way down here and find it <laughs> um yeah that's that's the title of uh, one of Stuart lee's shows isn't it content provider um he's uh, he's a very he's very, very big uh, in in sinclair fan as i think we were we were, yeah, we were saying, mean, I, saying I, I earlier. Love his uh, diatribes in the Observer. Mm. It's mm. him in it. I read it. <laughs> <laughs> he gets it. It's like a riff, obviously. Mm. He's he's bright guy. Yeah. And he loves his sort of gothic literature. Yes. Yes. Um, and yeah. As, as I said, I was talking to uh, Michael Cumming about uh, him and Stuart Lee's film uh, King Rocker when. Mm. He's um, you know, talking about the Nightingales and about Nick Nick Monroe's King Kong statue, uh, which has now been uh, 
recreated yes. in uh, in Birmingham yes. uh, in a, a strange kind of rebirth of that. that. Birmingham, yes, that, I remember the film very well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a, what a thing! I couldn't imagine how it was commissioned. <laughs> I, I think I think the thing was that it wasn't. I think they it wasn't commissioned. No, I think they just went and made it on a shoestring and then. Um, yeah, managed to managed to flog it, and I think that's the thing. I love things like that. I feel like we need more of them, and um, I think yeah, maybe people are a bit uh, over cautious with uh, commissioning. I, I don't want it in that park. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you could put one on the top of the hill yeah. easily. Yes. But the nice thing about that park is it's mm. got no content. Mm. Con- the content strippers. Yeah. They've, they've there's been this huge excavation of something. These are symbols of something. Yeah. But they—they don't. They're, luckily, they don't even attract people. But you can take photos of it. So when you're yeah. promoting Thames Mead, yeah, there's the this lovely park. There's the mounds. And great viewing platform. Yeah. But there's no lift. <laughs> so it's not like this terrible disaster of one they did in Hyde Park Corner. You know, they built some oh the mound awful mound structure I never saw that but it, neither did I the, the neither fo- did anybody else no because the, the photos looked, crap. <laughs> looked appalling didn't it it was basically some scaffolding with some uh, yeah kind of uh, grassy grassy edge um, and the but, point of this one is that you there's a great thing about it is you have to really walk out yeah through all sorts of strange and varied landscapes to get to it you do indeed you, you can't just stroll up in a you know, there's no river trip that's stopping there <laughs> maybe we could start one we could start the I'm river I'm sort of reluctant to do this because then we're going to get people coming to someone <laughs> might listen to it and think oh god I've got to go to hell <laughs> we can, we can keep, we'll keep the keep the location secret um, but we do, yeah we talked a little bit about um the psychic idea as well and you're talking about the, the kind of sparseness the emptiness of that place here and do, you, do you kind of feel like I I, I what's well, I mean, we're, we're, we're by the river now yeah by the river because I mean look at that Ooh, seaweed. seaweed in the river yeah. I mean I don't know about you but this, the cheers just the fact of the Thames mm. after all this flim flam that we've been through you can do whatever you like on that landscape you can you can move in set after set after set but you hit this river and suddenly it all stops it's serious yeah you know and it kill you in a minute yeah and, it, and it's broad you know you're, you're, you're really you're divided the two shores are divided um, the weight of what, everything London is, is is in the rippling in that water so it's, you know, it's wonderful that's why they use it as a marketing tool for all the new the new blocks of flats I mean there are no tower blocks further back mm. there's a sort of suburban villages are hidden in a hinterland between the prison yeah. <laughs> and, and the park and then the the ones they actually wreck to sell are mm. here and look that's Ballard you know the, the architects building at the top the, yeah, the sort of penthouse of that is exactly like the... high-rise where the, the, exactly. the boss has his kingdom at the top yeah. and in fact we did a radio program about high rise uh, way back, and we were given two tower blocks, I think, behind that red one there, mm. to to use to make the program because nobody was moving in to live there. They said, "Oh, they sort of BBC approached them. So can we have can we have one flat? So you can have the whole building. No, there's nobody here. <laughs> so we we made this radio program talking about high rise in in that." 
which was the nearest thing you could come to to the actual ballad thing because the canary wharf is not you know obviously not the same yeah although that's where it would have been his theoretical projection and we can see the woolwich ferry over here which is oh, um, I love the one ferry. of the f one of the best free things you can yes. do in london going across absolutely. the river on that ferry um, it feels very very retro um, i'm so sad from my point of view because you had the ferry then you had the the old woolwich station which is just by mm. the ferry yeah so you could get on the train there and go circling Quatic back to that and there was a there is still a little park nearby yeah which is where the Princess Alice was coming in to tie up when it was hit by the drunken collier boat going, going upstream yeah. and chopped in half. And anyone uh, who's uh, like uh, me and Ian, old enough to remember Silverlink trains, will, yes. be, will be familiar with uh, the old... What's this? Are I don't know, nothing. We've got a kind of uh, anchor thing Care here. Bag on... Hmm. Do you often this, this is this is a, a, a quite a distinguished piece of sculpture in comparison with the actual yeah. one that they've put in front of Woolwich Station. This is just a kind of uh, just a, just a thing tie from, up. Yeah, tying yeah, up boats, but it, but right? It's, it's functional, but it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Do you often look at things like graffiti? Do they do always they take, yes. take your eye? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I scan them mm. and kind of collect books of photographs of ones that are sort of pertinent to the period in interesting ways. Yeah. It's, it's a history. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Park Date. Um, there's lots more where that came from and there'll be more in the future as well. If you enjoyed it, please leave a review. Um, good or bad, make them funny. I'll be reading out the best ones and there'll be a prize for the one that makes me laugh the most. Name check some trees in your reviews and leave them wherever you get your podcasts from. Check out our website, parkdate.co.uk. And um, if you see me walking around in a park, come and say hello. I think that was the sound of someone sneezing. Um, yes. Thank you. Bye-bye. Fragment 1 Fragment 2 Fragment 3 Fragment 4 Fragment 5 Fragment 6 Fragment 7 Fragment 8 Fragment 9 Fragment 10